You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today, we are in Verona. Ci siamo proprio nel cuore dell'area classica. Sì, però noi ecco siamo praticamente... Noi siamo qui, ecco sì. qua, noi siamo lì, è noteca, eccola lì. Ah, ho capito. Siamo proprio lì e, dentro. E campo le calle, Ilatium, campo le calle, Ilatium è la, il nome dell'azienda scritto in latino. Well Daniel, what was that? Well, Rich, first of all, we heard from an old friend who we haven't seen for a while and we would like to see in the next few days. Dino Zandegu, a 1967 Tour of Flanders champion, one of the great characters of professional cycling, who has serenaded us in past Giri, including that a couple of years ago. He was singing about Verona. He was singing about a team time trial in Verona. Um, you also heard him mention um, Romeo and Juliet in that, in that lovely little... That famous song about a team time trial in Verona. Yes, but... Nonetheless, relevant because we were in Verona today. We did see the arena, as we heard Dino say there. And now, Rich, we're in Suave. Um, as I said to someone yesterday, it was, it was the wine stage a couple of days ago. But if you look hard, or n- not even that hard, every stage is a wine stage if you're on the cycling podcast. Suave, of course, famous for its white wine just outside Verona. Beautiful, beautiful fortified town. We're in the sort of shadow of the castle. And we're in a lovely Enoteca, and what you heard there was our waitress, um, our host for the early evening, explaining, just the early evening. talking to me about the minerality of the soil just in the area to the um, to the west of Suave, and um, yeah, I'm sampling. Um, well, she was pointing. We've got a map beside us here. Yes, um, so she was pointing out where exactly the white wine made from the Garganiga grape, as all white wines from Suave are. Um, she was pointing to me, pointing out to me where it came from. And um, very nice it is too. Of course, Suave wine is is <coughs> often exported, well known in places like the UK. It's often very cheap. The, the the worst stuff is exported, and the best stuff is kept here. It's actually quite a prestigious wine in in Italy. Um, Verona That's produces, reassuring. Verona produces a lot of wine. Produces more wine than any, any other province in. Italy, of course, you've got Valpolicella near here, you've got Amarone, you've got Bardolino, Suave. Daniel, we were we were the two gentlemen of Verona today. We were, um, we were. But we were supposed to be the three gentlemen of Verona this evening. And sadly, I got a phone call first thing this morning from Francois Tomaso, who was preparing to make his Giro debut. And last minute, unfortunately, he's not been able to come. Um, 
So he left us this message. Uh, hi, Richard and Daniel. It's uh, four o'clock here in uh, Marseille, and I should be on a taxi to the airport, I suppose, to uh, take my plane to Verona, where I was supposed to be meeting you rather late tonight for my first uh, incursion on the uh, on the Giro d'Italia. But unfortunately, as you uh, as I well as you know, and as as I told you, and as you probably already warned uh, everybody around, I won't be able to make it to uh, the Giro. It's like kind of a Giro curse. I've, I've got my Tour de France curse. Uh, that's, you know, the first, uh, well, I've covered more than 30 and I've never seen a Frenchman win it. And uh, my Giro curse is much simpler than that. I've uh, uh, I've never done it and uh, it was my first and, um, and it won't happen. Uh, what happened actually before, you know, uh, people ask and, uh, and, and I thank, uh, you know, uh, thank you for your attention um yeah it's it's a simple thing uh family problem my uh, stepmother broke her hip uh, which happens with uh, elderly people uh she's in hospital and uh, and we have to take care of her and my father is uh, 99 year old 99 years old and uh, well he's, he's very valid he's a, he's a great guy a rock but you know when he's, he's on his own and i i have to organize uh, well the what's what's next which means that unfortunately, uh, as much as I'll be uh, watching the Giro uh, with care and uh, and passion, uh, I won't be able to to discuss uh, the race with you guys uh, for 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 this time. So yeah, it's very unfortunate. I'll, I'll miss the uh, the Zonkolan chairlift, which was probably would have been the, the the highlight of my Giro, given that I'm afraid of heights and uh, and of bridges, as uh, is now well known. Uh, I'll. Uh, I'll probably miss, yeah, our uh, heated uh, discussions with uh, Daniel about French and Italian food. Uh, in a way, I'm I'm kind of relieved because I'm sure I would have loved everything, single meal and wine Daniel would have uh, imposed on me, and I would have been forced to uh, pretend it was crap. Um, so here I am, um, still in Marseille, uh, you know, glued to my uh, lousy French food and terrible Marseille weather. Uh, well, unfortunately, there are, as we all know, uh, sometimes more serious. Yeah, it's, it's strange to say, but sometimes more serious things than uh, than cycling. And um, well, I'll be on the tour for sure uh, uh, with you guys and uh, and and. I really can guarantee, and I mean, it's it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a real pledge I make on the podcast and I make to myself that the next year I'll cover the the entire Giro, so I will have plenty, plenty. I'll have plenty of time to drink terrible Italian wine, to eat terrible overcooked Italian pasta, and uh, yeah, and, and many opportunities to uh, to call a few of the uh, uh, actions on the race. Bullshit. Well, uh, all the best to you guys. Uh, enjoy it without me. <laughs> the good thing is uh, you you booked the hotels and the restaurants already. So, uh, well, probably you have uh, uh, you know three portions of every meal instead of two. You can share between you. you. So, well, you know, all the best and uh, see you soon. Bye bye. 
So very, we're very sad that Francois won't be able to join us, but we've got him on the record. They're promising that he will cover the whole Giro next and, year. And we think, more of this, more about this later, but we think we might have identified a replacement travelling oh, companion. Yeah. <laughs> Someone who has already been a, a travelling companion of sorts over the last... A travelling <laughs> companion. <laughs> of sorts, yeah. a, a um, companion, a yeah. comrade in adventure over the last three or four days, but we won't reveal exactly who that is until later no, in the No, we're going to hear a... a, a a, a typically entertaining, uh, twinkly-eyed interview. Clue it's not Chiron. With this gentleman, another gentleman of Verona. Very much a gentleman. Um, and, uh, well, we saw uh, an incredible sprint. We expected a sprint today. It was a pan-flat stage. Um, we expected a sprint today, and we got one. And I've just got the, the data for the, the winner, actually. Interest, some interesting data here. The winner, he won uh, today. Today's winner, Giacomo Nizzolo, won with... 150 gigabytes per second he yeah, recorded it was fiber screen. optic Nizzolo so called because um, earlier in the year I did a zoom interview with him and I was absolutely wowed by the speed of his internet connection in Lugano hence as christening him fiber optic Nizzolo and it was his first stage win in the Giro after 11 second places today and Rich um, you said we fastest saw fastest internet it. in the peloton do you think fastest internet in the peloton um and you said we saw it. We also heard the lead out, didn't we? We did. And we're gonna tonight. We're gonna is gonna see the return of slow radio because we were roadside at two kilometres to go when the bunch came tearing past, and it was a very impressive sound. This is a sort of noise of bike racing that we don't often hear unless you are roadside. Um, it's visceral. It's you know, there's lots of energy. It's 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 one of the great underrated virtues of professional cycling. I think the sound, the noise. Rich trying to explain a noise, oh, I know. I'm, trying to I'm, explain it's like slow, da- it's like dancing, dancing about, about architecture. architecture. There we go. So, so we're we going to hear, hear it. it without Let further ado. Let it speak for itself. What, now? Okay. That was the bunch going past at 75 kilometers an hour, as we learned later. We'll hear in an interview a bit later on. But it was quite awesome, wasn't it? Uh, you don't see a lot if you're roadside watching the race at that point. You don't you don't see an awful lot, but it's very very impressive. I saw you stroking your chin wistfully, thinking this is as, this is how fast I go on the lanes of the, on the farm tracks. It's of not Picardy. even how fast I go in my car, but uh, it was it was an awesome display of power and a very impressive performance once again from Quebec at Assos you know when you think back to our to zero at the Giro last year NTT SOS they seem to be on their way out they really are reborn and rejuvenated this year second Giro stage win in three days so it was stage 13 of the Giro from uh, Ravenna to Verona 198 kilometers in Ravenna we met up with Marina Romoli and um, we'll hear from her a bit later on she runs a foundation uh, which is one of the good causes benefiting from the sales of Stacey Snyder's mugs and cups. So it was great to meet her there. And she's best friends with Giacomo Nizzolo. They uh, grew up together and were on the national team together. So we'll hear from her on him as well. There was a breakaway. There was a breakaway, There was Daniel. the usual suspects, Sam- wasn't Sam- Samuele Rivi of Eola. Eolo. <laughs> I will master this by the end of the, the Giro. Umberto Marengo of Bardiani and Simon Pello of Androni Giocattoli. They got a gap of up to 7 minutes 40. We'd seen this film point. before, hadn't we? 
<coughs> and they did. It looked like they were going to stay away. Um, then Pillow had a little go on his own with 120 kilometers to go. Not not quite sure what that was about. There's a bit of Pillow fight there, wasn't there? More a about Pillow more than a more than fight. more than more about Pillow or Pillow the fights two, later. The other two reeled them back in, and uh, well, for a while it looked like the bunch was just keeping them at a safe distance, a minute and a half or so, to, to avoid catching them too soon. But with 50 kilometers to go, there was a bit of excitement. Uh, Remy Cavagna of Deconic Quickstep and Peter Seri of Deconic Quickstep stringing it out. And uh, we, it looked like we were going to have another Belgians attack like we had at the uh, at Paris-Nice earlier in the year. But it didn't really come to anything, although it was a flurry of excitement. Um, and in the end, well, Eduardo Affini, the Jumbo Visma ruler, time trialist, uh, big guy isn't he big powerful guy uh, he jumped very very early he's not a sprinter but he went very very early is this a sign of a lack of confidence in this sprinter Dylan Grunewagen I it could be he's someone who has that in his locker who has that sort of finisher's punch a kilometer or so from the finish but Rich um, earlier in the day we'd also seen Affini because he's from Mantova where the race went through Mantova with about 50 40 or 50 kilometers to go he led the race well, out guide. of Mantova yeah he wasn't quite a, a parent the old uh, visite parent or whatever they call it in the he tour. was holding up an umbrella so that everyone <laughs> knew where he but was he led the peloton over Mantova's beautiful Ponte San Giorgio out of the city and there was there was another um, family visit as well Davide Gaburo the um, Bardiani rider a bit closer to the finish he's from a place called Bovolone and I think it was more it was a, a pretty nondescript stretch of road I think n very near there he also gave his I don't know whether his wife or his girlfriend or his family a wave which was a nice moment lovely well Affini jumped and it he had a he had quite a gap and uh, it looked like he might hold on in fact he did hold on for a second but Giacomo Nizzolo after a brilliant lead out uh, from his team they'd really controlled the last 10 kilometers or so Nizzolo improvised he jumped after Affini pretty early for him into his slipstream and kind of what do they call it slingshot himself uh, and, and won quite convincingly right Uplo uploaded his first victory ever <laughs> in the Italia <laughs> I'd say 150 gigabytes per second he recorded on that finishing streak it was uh, well after 11 second places in Grand Tour stage it was first, his first win in a, in a stage of a Grand Tour um, it reminded me of Mark Cavendish's win into Breve in 2012 when Luis Leon Sanchez got away like that and looked like he might hold on and, and Cavendish brilliantly rode the wheels and, and slingshotted himself up and uh, passed Sanchez in the end but uh, Nizzolo a, a popular win I think and uh, obviously one that was celebrated um, by his team Quebec at Assos uh, Affini held on for second Peter Sagan third to strengthen his hold on the uh, Chiclamino jersey um, General classification, no changes, no change in the mountains. Competition, Jeffrey Bouchard is still leading that. So, Nitzolo finally gets the win. Also, Rich, we should mention, I mean, never mind Wi-Fi and internet connection, and Gaviria sprinted without a saddle, which is usually an essential item when you're racing your bike, isn't it? Extraordinary. How did that, do, you, do we know how that happened? We are awaiting further information on that. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, 
and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Very grateful to them for their support, allowing us to be here covering the Giro with our daily episodes and our morning episodes of Kilometer Zero. Cracking episode this morning, Daniel, remembering Alfredo Martini. A bit about Super Sapiens, and we'll hear another competition entrant in a moment, but uh, Super Sapiens is a continuous glucose monitoring system that helps you make the right fueling choices, really revolutionizing fueling for athletes and by athletes we mean everybody who does any kind of sport at all or who wants to be fit and healthy over time the user can learn how best to manage their energy resources it takes the guesswork out of when and what to eat it works with the abbott libra sense glucose sport biosensor sticking to the back of the upper arm a thin filament is inserted just under the skin to accurately measure glucose levels that then sends real-time glucose data to the super sapiens app and each biosensor patch lasts for 14 days. During this Giro, we're running a competition with Super Sapiens, allowing uh, our listeners to try and win three months free supply of the biosensor patches. All you have to do is send in an audio or video message telling us how and why you would use Super Sapiens to help you achieve your cycling goal. Whatever it happens to be, there are details on thecyclingpodcast.com about how to enter. But let's hear from one of those entrants um, who's actually applying on behalf of somebody else. Hello Cycling Podcast, this is a pitch for the Super Sapiens competition. Unlike many of the others that have uh, applied, this isn't for me, I'm not looking for this for myself. I coach a young rider who suffers from ulcerative colitis and that appears to affect his ability to uh, recover, uh, perform well in so much that his, his performances can appear a bit binary at times and I would be interested to use the data from a super sapien sensor to try and correlate his good and not so good performances with the sort of glucose in his blood at that time to try and get an idea of whether his uh, gut and intestine is actually able to absorb the calories that he needs to fuel his performances. So that's my pitch. It's not for me. I'd just like to use the data to help another. Thank you. Thanks very much for that, John. Um, you can find out more about Super Sapiens at supersapiens.com. And if you want to enter the competition, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. Well, Rich, a bit of geography, a bit of history, a bit of culture. We started our day in Predapio, which is a beautiful little place. We weren't quite in Predapio, but we were in the environs of a um, beautiful place in the hills above Forli in Emilia-Romagna. But famous, infamous as the birthplace of Benito Mussolini, the fascist leader in the, the Italian fascist leader in the early 20th century, and particularly the Second World War. That's kind and, of mid 20th century, isn't it? Really? Yes, yes. But he was, you know, he was very much in, in situ and influential before the Second World War. But interesting place. We didn't really get to look around, but it's where Mussolini's crypt still is. He's buried there. Um, it's attracted neo-fascists, and there've been there've been laws passed there to or rules um, on the selling, the sale of neo-fascist memorabilia. 
because as I say, it's become a bit of a, a destination for people of that kind of inclination over the years. And it's we've talked about the politics of Central Italy, that traditionally it was a very left-leaning area of Italy, but it started to swing slightly in 2019. Predapio elected its first sort of right-wing mayor for 70 years. And there's now there's plans for a Mus- uh, Mussolini museum. And it seems to that kind of slightly, one might say, unsavory um, side of things is starting to creep back. But um, yeah, we didn't get a chance to have a look around, but quite an interesting place and a very beautiful place. We were on a, a winery shock, <laughs> shock horror. Um, speaking of wine, the stage started in Ravenna, famous for its Byzantine architecture, but also famous as the the burial site of Dante. The Byzantine or Byzantine? Oh, God. Um, it's a tough one, isn't it? Famous as the burial, burial place of Dante. His his um, tomb is there. He died there, was buried there in 1321. Dante, of course, the well, the poet and the, the father well, the, of, of the modern Italian language. So he's known in Italy. But there's a link with Suave, where we are now, because the name Suave of the place... Well, it means that the, the word suave means kind of um, sort of gentle and soft and pleasant in Italian. Now, Dante once came here and he stayed in the castle um, under which pretty much we're recording this podcast. And he, he remarked on the wine, the wine that I'm drinking currently. And he supposedly remarked how suave, how gentle and how delicate and it and how beautiful it was um, and and there was a legend according to which that's where the town got its name but apparently like most things of this ilk it's wrong um, the name Suave came from the Swabians who in the barbaric invasions between the first and the or the second and the fifth century AD um, invaded this kind of part of what is now Italy so um, Anyway, it could have been a good link. Suave also, there's also a cycling link. Suave was where the time trial in 1984, the very famous time trial that Francesco Moser won, and he won the Giro with that and crushed, well, stamped all over Laurent Fignon's dreams. The time trial started in Suave, finished in Verona. Just, uh, we, we skirted around Bologna today, and it, it, it's famous for its politics too, the Red City. Um, but I saw that in your, in your tweet, earlier today previewing the stage that Verona is a right right leaning yes, city so, so they're quite close together so that's an obvious distinction between is, the two places yeah it is strange and the football club one of the football clubs in Verona there are there are two major ones Chievo and Hellas Verona Hellas has always been a little bit of a uh, I suppose a magnet or seen as a magnet for right-wing sympathies and it unfortunately has that reputation in Italy. Well, we thought there might be a, a win for the local boy Radio Viviani today because he was on home turf. He wasn't really anywhere close, unfortunately. It hasn't, it hasn't been clicking for Viviani really for the last 18 months or so. Um, but Nizzolo, well, it has been clicking for him. He's just not got that win until today. Uh, and Daniel, at the finish, you intercepted a, a, a rider who was once being trumpeted as as the next great German sprinting talent. He's a I huge thought he rider. Was going to be. I'm sure it was being l- trumpeted by you. Actually, <laughs> a lot of a lot of similarities between Max Walscheid and Marcel Kittel, both excellent time trialists who, by virtue of their you know enormous power output, also looked very promising as sprinters. I uh, yeah, I think we took the initiative quite early. And uh, we were always well placed. Um, I brought Giacomo in the last kilometer. Unfortunately, I dropped my chain with 500 to go. 
so I had a little moment of freewheeling and he overtook me and uh, found his own way and uh, I think did an amazing sprint. I don't know how much you saw and I don't know how much it was in the plan, but Afini went really early and that almost helped Giacomo. I guess that wasn't the plan, was it? No, of course not. But um, yeah, I mean, he's an extremely clever sprinter. So uh, probably when he started the sprint, he saw already that he might uh, get a little draft uh, while it's going early. And I think uh, that was a perfect plan. And it looks super fast. I don't know if you guys had a tailwind there, but um, does that also suit your train and suit Giacomo? I, I think uh, for me specifically, it was a perfect final um, because I can uh, push a lot of power uh, on a really high speed. I already at 75k an hour in the lead out, so uh, I was extremely fast sprint. Uh, Giacomo sprinted on a 56 chain ring and I think uh, also that and believing to be able to push that chain ring uh, was also part of the victory. And the second stage win in a few days. Just tell me, how much has confidence contributed to this? I must say, uh, I think I was never that happy about uh, someone else winning. And uh, I think uh, as a team, uh, we are extremely happy with the Giro. Uh, we did very well. And um, today, uh, it was even more a team effort than a win of Mauro Schmid. Uh, so today, we can really celebrate it together. Well, that was um, Giacomo Nizzolo's modem, I mean, um, lead-out man, um, <laughs> Max, Max Valscheid, talking about well, a quite an unusual sprint in the end, wasn't it? Um, with Affini really um, well, sort of breaking, parting the waters, I suppose, for the, the various sprinters and their trains. And Nizzolo was the first to react, and it was so fast. I mean, we saw them at two kilometers to go, and they continued really on the same road, and there was, there was a tailwind. And we heard Valshad there talk about the speed, 75 kilometers an hour. Um, I actually thought it would suit Sagan, but it was, it was not to be. Um, but two stage wins now for Quebeca Assos. We remarked on this a few months ago, or two or three months ago. They've, they've not necessarily won a lot this year, but I think they've they've raced in in a very sort of prominent and quite impressive and spirited way. And they've sort of underlined to me, and I said this again a few weeks ago, that we we do tend to evaluate teams based on the the number of victories um, they claim in every season. We kind of assume that it's a bit of a crisis if they're not winning, but. Uh, Quebec Rastos have been refreshing this year to me in that they've forced me to, to reevaluate that because I, I think they have been um, one of the more sort of enterprising teams in the peloton this year. And I think, I just get the sense that with these two victories, what was, what could have been a sort of beaten down, you know, mentality mindset of, you know, we're not winning, is starting to, whether, whether that ever was in place in the team, but, but I think that can very quickly turn into an underdog mentality and a very positive energy. And I get the sense that's what's happening at well, Quebec gone, races, they come really full, are giant killers. Yeah, they've come full circle because they started off as underdogs. Um, they won Mansonimo, they went to the Tour de France MTN, as MTN Quebec and and won, a, won at least one stage there with Steve Cummings, didn't they? A very famous stage at uh, Mond. And they, they, they thrived on that underdog status. And then they kind of joined the big boys. You know, they got a big sponsor, Dimension Data, then NTT. They signed Mark Cavendish. They signed other stars. Um, and, and really, that didn't work for them at all. They had Bjarne Reese in charge last year as well. And, and it just none of that worked for them at all. Whereas they've gone back to being underdogs. They're they've still become the, scrappers, haven't they're, they? They're world tour, but they've got the lowest budget in the world tour. They've, they've cobbled together a team. They lost a lot of their high earners at the end of last year. Of course, Michael Valgren, Ed Valbosenhagen, riders like that, left. 
and yet they're doing better. Um, they're, they're, they've been riding well all season. I mean, we heard the other day in Kilometer Zero, Michael Gogol, okay, he was sixth on the day at Strada Bianca, but it was a fantastic performance. He, he overperformed that day, and that has been that's the, been the theme. That, that's, that's become the overperformance yeah. rather than underperformance. Yeah. And it was notable how well grateful Nitsola was to his teammates and how effusive in his praise of the team and everything they've done. Um, because you know he he is the talisman now from um, having been a sort of I wouldn't say a second tier sprinter, but a one of many leading sprinters in the World Tour. He suddenly found himself as the well, bearing a lot of responsibility for one team. And, and he has risen to the occasion. You know, he hasn't necessarily won a lot of races, but he's been consistent and, um, and he, he stuck at it. Today, it was interesting as well. He talked about how um, he, he'd been boxed in quite a few times in this Giro already and he'd got his positioning wrong. And today, his priority, his absolute priority was to just to have clear road ahead of him. And, you know, the finish suited him in the sense that Afini's it was... attack suited him. It, it did, it him. suited him. And he said that he was willing to take a, get a little bit more wind in his face today if it meant definitely not getting boxed in. He had to, he had to risk losing in order to win and, and that's ultimately what happened. The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks very much indeed to Science in Sport, our longtime sponsor. If you want 25% off all your Science in Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout enter the code SISCP25. A reminder too that if you'd like to guess Sunday's stage winner and being with the chance of winning £80 worth of science sport goodies, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and predict the winner of Sunday's stage. That's a competition that's running for each of the Sunday stages throughout the Giro. But yes, thanks once again to Science and Sport. Rich, should we talk candidates for replacing Francois for the last week? I mean, who's in the shake-up? Well, um, the, I think mean, there aren't, to think there aren't of many who, who who's someone combine who? his 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 sense of calm, his his um, his his knowledge, his I experience. Think, I think we need an older his, head. Yeah, he, he he appreciates his food and his wine. We definitely need a bon vivant. He doesn't tolerate bullshit, does he? Certainly not. Who could who could it who be? could fit the bill? Oh, who could it be? I um, wonder. Well, I tell you what. This morning in the mix zone. Um, I did happen upon Patrick Lefebvre um, for the first time today because we've seen him. Well, we've seen him every day for the last few days. He's Sometimes following in, us around in our he? in our hotel. Can't um, shake him off. Yes, he's always ready with a, a sort of friendly salute or a wink or a nudge or a, um, yeah, a glass of wine. Um, and yes, he was in the mix zone, um, holding court as he often is at the moment and um, I asked him well, I spoke to him about Remco Evenepoel's travails on well the done white, on that pronunciation uh, on the white roads in Tuscany and also Jao Almeida's role in that uh, well in the stage that finished in Montalcino which has been discussed and criticised and was certainly scrutinised we knew that this was the the could be the pain in the ass this stage because uh, last year he did the race and uh, Italy, and there was only three pieces of this uh, gravel, and he lost six minutes. So, don't forget that five years ago, this guy was not even a, a rider, but a football player. And then if you have the basic uh, formation, like Bernal from uh, Mutombike, 
he has a historical uh, re retardo on these guys, but uh, we will try to work on it this winter and uh, to try to learn them to handle better the bike. You cannot reduce the expectations. The expectations are, are made by the people, by the fans, by the press, and I see it and I think my sponsors are glad with it, so uh, I'm relaxed. Patrick, do you know anything yet about the special help you might get for Remco? I heard rumours about Cal Crutchlow being involved. Well, he's a fan of uh, he's a fan of the team. He's he's know very well Mark Cavendish and Tom Bonen, and uh, probably in an off off period, will uh, try to to ask his help. As far as you're concerned, it's a, it's a technical problem. It's not mental scar tissue from the crash last year. No, no, because he did, before the crash last year, he did a kind of this race in, uh, in Oika or something like this. And he lost six minutes and three pieces of gravel. He even couldn't stay on a bike. And next day he won with three minutes. So it's, Don't forget this, this kid where, where five years ago he was a football player. So, and last thing, Patrick, how have you assessed um, Almeida's performance for Remco in the last few days? Because a few people watched him on the Strade Bianca stage and they said he wasn't helping Remco enough. What did you think? But unfortunately for Joe, he lost his five, six minutes in the first mountain stage. Otherwise, I think he could go for his own classification. But uh, we agreed already before the Giro, the, the guy who will be elite will be protected. And that is what it is. Of course, if tomorrow or Monday Remco lose 30 minutes, 3 0 minutes, then of course uh, Joe will have carte blanche. So you have to be in the front. And he didn't was uh, aware of the problems that Remco had. Remco was yelling on the radio, and even the car was too far away. And then before he, he noticed, he stopped immediately and helped him. And of course, the Portuguese press said uh, that he was not happy. And uh, he said also to me, I had diamond legs. I could, I could be in the front. Yes, of course. But his classification was lost already. And the breakaway, they couldn't catch it anymore. So what it serves to be fifth or to help your leader. I think you have to help your leader. Then. I was very clear with this before the Giro already. I said to the guys of uh, Flemish television, Yesterday they were fighting in the room, but that's not. <laughs> but we need some suspense, huh? Because the Giro is boring. <laughs> so I didn't pop the question to um, Patrick, you know, whether he would like to join us for the next ten days or so. We've got a few. We've got hotel bookings um, in the kind of establishment that he would probably approve of. There are a few <laughs> more wineries in there. Have you managed to cancel any of them, actually, Daniel? Did you get onto that today? We will get onto that in due course, Richard. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, certainly a suggestion. But, I think he was flying out of Verona tonight. But so a lot might be too late. <laughs> a lot, Patrick, to, come a, back. A lot to ponder in. I mean, that, that would be it, novel. Well, a very lot to ponder interesting. In that interview. Yeah, um, he, he you know, enjoys. The, he enjoys it, doesn't he? The uh, the cut and thrust of of the interview in the mix zone. He's got a twinkle in his eye. Um, I mean, he doesn't like it when his team's been beaten, and he he's not a good loser at all. But. There's something about him here where his team is, if you're being blunt, is kind of underperforming a little bit, maybe. Certainly not 
I mean, James Knox um, recently was telling us how this is the first race he's ever been to with the Kenny Quickstep where they've not had a sprinter. And that has really changed the way that they've they've ridden and raced. Um, you know, they haven't looked like winning a stage yet. That could all change, of course. And, and even the pose still, he's still there. He's still got a chance of getting on the podium. But it's a strange situation for them to be in. Yes, and really interesting on Remco's problems the other day. And I, I, we certainly weren't aware of what an issue this was. I mean, Lefebvre, he, he referenced there what he called uh, historical retardo slipping into, Ita into Italian, basically meaning that Remco has not been riding, uh, not been racing for very long. So he doesn't have the experience um, in terms of bike handling. The, there was a rumour this morning that uh, De Koenig Quickstep was so concerned about Remco's bike handling problems that they were, going to, they were going to call on some help from outside of cycling, from MotoGP in fact. A good friend of Mark Cavendish, who of course rides for De Koenig Quickstep, Cal Crutch, so the MotoGP rider, he was potentially being lined up to help um, Remco. As, as Patrick, well, I, I put the question to Patrick in the interview there, and he confirmed that. Well, we didn't know at the time, but we have since discovered from an extremely good source, who, who is not Mark Cavendish, I hasten to add, um, is that they already tried last year to hook or to link Cal Crutchlow and Remco Vanderpol up um, to do some work on his descending. And they were not able to do that because of COVID restrictions, quarantine arrangements, but it was on the cards a few months ago. What's interesting about this though, Daniel, is that even admitting that there's a problem because Evnipol himself, and I've noticed we, you, you're lurching into calling him Remco rather than Evnipol, uh, which is interesting. Uh, that is quite common with him. I thought I was Patrick Lefebvre for a moment. A guy, a gentleman in a in a in a navy blue tank top, which is what he wears, with a shock of white hair, just walked down the street. It wasn't him, but we've seen. I mean, Evan Nepal himself has played down any problems that he might have with bike handling and so on. And we've seen in the past, notably with Thibaut Pino, that when a rider gets a name for himself as being a nervous descender or something, it creates a lot of problems for him because. If the others perceive that as a weakness, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It, it can become one. And it's not something that will necessarily work in Evnipol's favour over the coming years. And it'll be hard for him to shake off. Yeah, certainly, Rich. Um, a few other highlights from that. Yes, I know. What can he do to shake it off? Do a wheelie through the... Um, ride Strada Bianca next year and just pull a wheelie going through the first section of gravel. And then... a. a what do they call it? Uh, well, maybe... Um, an, en an endo. Endo. Maybe Peter Sagan will join the team, which is, you know, it's a rumour that's definitely going around. Well, and after it's Patrick Lefebvre's dinner the other night with the Slovakians. Well, there you go. And it's gaining a bit of momentum. Maybe Peter Sagan will be able to, you know, team up with Cal Crutchlow to give Remco some lessons in, in whatever he needs. Um, other highlights from that interview with, with Patrick Lefebvre, who, as always, has a great turn of phrase. Um, Almeida had diamond legs the other day in Siena. This got me thinking... What, um, what are the best expressions to convey precisely that? You know, we, we've had the no chain before with US Postal, and uh, I think that was coined by George Hincapi. Maybe some, maybe we should invite, um, ask for some listener suggestions on that. What sort of phraseology do you use, when, Rich? When, um, when the buffaloes, you know, when your hooves are really moving smoothly, um, what do you call that? Um, it's so long since that happened that I, I can't. I can't remember the uh, I can't remember the, uh, the terminology. I think we're going to have to ask. Can't for remember help the here. feeling. Um, and then and then the image of Remco and Almeida 
fighting in their room. Patrick pillow fight. Patrick orchestrating a pillow fight. Well, let's while we're on the subject of the Koenig quick steps, so we'll hear from our audio diarist, James Knox. Quiet day in the office for him. Stage 13, done without any issues. whole bunch can thank me for throwing salt over my shoulders all, all yesterday. So, but yeah, hectic uh, finish, but no problems. Actually, pretty calm finish, what we're talking about. Uh, a lot of people just got out of the way, to be honest. Makes everything easier for the guys that need to be there. I was in a group of, well, you know, quite a big group, 40 guys maybe cruising in uh, yeah and that was it really they uh, quite quick thankfully we had mainly cross tail cross tail from Ravenna to Verona on the flatlands of the Po Valley did cross the Po a few times I think we had a couple of uh, bridges to deal with and a few towns to get through and we had a little uh, group of riders joining together driving a hit out after uh, one of the intermediate sprints, which got quickly shut down, and on that it was a, yeah, it was a parade. <laughs> to be honest, I averaged 102, 102 beats per minute was my average heart rate for the for the race, 198 kilometers. I had a good chat, worked on the tan lines. Yeah, caught up with quite a few people talking about this and that. People talking about the weather coming up. People talking about the stages been, general chit chat. Uh, but yeah, as a team, all good. Remco up front, out of trouble. And for the rest of us, just a really long extended rest day, really. Kept the legs turning over, don't have a sprinter. Remy was one of those riders that had a little dig. Nice finish into Verona. After the line, I stopped to watch the finish and looked to be a pretty impressive attack from Affini. Almost cancelled it to the line. I'm not sure actually when he attacked, but I'm sorry with the little gap coming into that 500 metres to go last straight, so that would have been... Yeah, that would have been pretty spectacular if he'd won in like in that fashion. I think he's also pretty local to Verona. Yeah, maybe like Mantova, Padova, or however you say it, one of them, Padova, somewhere around there. So yeah, I think he from the region. So yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Um, but instead, Nizzolo got his first Giro win, which I guess is well earned. Tomorrow's the Zonkalan. That'll be my first time going to the Zonkalan, but I believe it's the easier side. So can't be able to say you know, I've done the, the full, the full Zonkalan. Weather isn't looking great, which is a bit of a shame. Apparently we'll be cold and wet on top, so we'll see how it goes. That was James Knox. Daniel, average heart rate for the stage of 102. I think, I think mine was probably higher, being a passenger in the car. I've lost my, I've misplaced my heart rate monitor charger somewhere in the last week. So mine's out of action, unfortunately. Disaster, disaster. Um, what else do we have from today? Well, I said that we uh, met Marina Romoli um, at the start this morning. She... Uh, got in touch with us this morning cause to say she was at the start because, well, she lives in Lamarque and we thought we might see her down there, but uh, we didn't. It was terrible weather down there, so she was there, but it was all a bit frantic. She was at the start today, um, partly to see her great friend, Giacomo Nizzolo, and wish him luck. And uh, I met her and I spoke to her. I, I, she, her foundation, I mean, she was a very promising bike rider who was unfortunately hit by a, a vehicle um, some years ago and and left paralyzed so she's in a wheelchair now but she's really dedicated her life to raising money for research into spinal injuries and paralysis and um and and, and funding research projects also helping athletes who whose careers have been ended by 
those types of injuries or indeed brain injuries as well and she's raised a lot of money one of our listeners um, nominated her foundation to receive money as one of the, the good causes to receive money from the sale of Stacy Snyder's mugs cups and cappuccino sets and incidentally another batch of these are going to go on sale and we'll have details of exactly when in tomorrow night's podcast um, but I met Marina this morning and spoke to her and here's what she said well here first of all our interview this morning and then we'll hear a little message she sent after the finish about her great friend Nate Zolo's victory. Marina, um, tell us a bit, tell us your, your, your story. You're here at the Giro today but you were a, a, a you know, very good cyclist yourself weren't you? Yes, I was a former cycling, pro cycling uh, rider and uh, I raced for 14 years in my career and I was uh, uh, um, vice campionessa del mondo I do second in the world championship when I'm a junior when I'm 18 so but uh, in uh, 2010 I survived after a big cycling uh, crash um, a car cut my road and uh, I now I suffered from a spinal cord injury and now I'm uh, on a wheelchair. But um, the world of cycling always stay with me and help me to go for. And uh, after the, this accident, uh, I grew up a foundation. And uh, this foundation is Maria Romulianlus. And we raised money for uh, find a cure for paralysis because it's a big problem for all young people under 30 years so we try to do this and we have just founded uh, so many uh, research projects all over the world and now we are here at the Giro and uh, I met uh, you friends for uh, the second podcast and I want to say thank you for what you do for the cycling and for what you do for our foundation how old were you when you had the accident? 22. Yes, it's um, uh, one week before my birthday. So it was uh, a hard period for me. I passed um, one year at the hospital for rehabilitation. Now I live my life independently, but uh, it was uh, really hard to, to do this, um, this journey. <laughs> I mean, the listener of ours who nominated your your foundation to receive money from the the sale of Stacy Snyder's mugs cups and bulls um said that you have become a great ambassador that you you travel a lot to to speak obviously not at the moment in in uh, the time of covid but um has that been a big part of your life the last decade or so has been traveling and speaking and and, and meeting people yes i passed my 10 years after my accident doing this and uh, now I'm also a psychologist. I studied and uh, I want to give you this important message that it's don't give up the fight, keep going. And uh, because uh, if you can dream it, you can do it. So uh, I say, uh, before I say, I saw that uh, it's important to have a big family around me and this family is the sports and uh, the cycling and uh, all my friends that uh, 
were that that were in my uh, my teams and uh, with me in uh, the national teams, Italian national teams. So thank you to to everyone that support me and support my causes. I'm really happy for the victory of uh, Giacomo Nizzolo in uh, today's stage because uh, we were friends since uh, we were young, cycling rider. Um, we raced together in uh, Italian national teams and we are also friends outside the cycling. And uh, he also supported Marina Romolionus since we founded it. And uh, I can say to you that uh, he has a big uh, passion that is um, road and off-road uh, motorbikes. And um, I can say to you that uh, this morning, before um, the start of the stage, he said, uh, uh, today I won't make second. Well, that was Marina Romoli on Il Mastino, the Bull Mastiff. Uh, Giacomo Nizzolo told us in his press conference tonight that his dad has always called him the Bull Mastiff. I think it's a Bull Mastiff, Il Mastino. It's a kind of bulldog thing. I'm not a dog person. I don't really, I wouldn't know the difference between a bulldog and a French bulldog and I'm not yeah anyway um, he's got tattoos he's got a n- number of tattoos I think on his right arm um, a horse it's his favourite animal apparently um, what's your favourite animal motorbike I, I, Daniel I kind of like I quite like um, snow leopards that would look good as a tattoo I like snow leopards um, he's got motorbike because that's another one of his passions well we, we heard that from Marina there yeah, yeah she's a big motorbike fan and he's got a collage of other things he didn't really want to explain didn't really want to go into because they're they're quite private um, tomorrow Richard we are heading to Lodzonkolan yes a scene of uh, a stage a couple of years ago we're going a different way up this time aren't we the easier way, way up uh, I, I was while you were interviewing Max Walshide at the finish, Daniel, I was uh, witness to a touching little scene between two of the GC uh, candidates, Hugh Carthy and Simon Yates, kind of rolled into the, the paddock together. And um, they'd obviously been chatting, and as they peeled off, uh, Yates I heard, overheard him say, and this is an exclusive to the Cycling Podcast, see you tomorrow, mate. <laughs> I quite, Sim- similarly, I, quite I saw Hugh Carthy this morning and asked him how his legs were, and he said, yeah, right. Got yeah. diamonds in the yeah. mate. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He's not from Birmingham either. Um, Sorry, that but was we're going to, we're going to the Zonkolan tomorrow, and it's going to be wet. Apparently, um, we're, we're expecting bad weather. But Rich, inevitably, when we go to Lozonkolan, and particularly that side of Lozonkolan, we think of the 2003 Giro when Gilberto Simoni won. It was one of Marco Pantani's sort of last tangos um, in that Giro. That was his last Giro, and he was actually pretty good that day. I think he finished second on the stage. But when we go to Lozonkolan, we also think about a little town at the bottom called Tolmezzo, which is the birthplace, actually, of the Androni rider Nicola Vinciaruti, who I spoke to today, but more of that over the weekend. But Tolmezzo, the birthplace also of... Tiramisu. Possibly, possibly, not confirmed. We will revisit, let's revisit, just for, just, just indulge us for a few seconds, Rich, the Tiramisu World Cup when it was Treviso against Tolmezzo, Lionel and I a couple of years ago. We 2018. Were trying, 2018, we were trying to establish who, who it was that, that actually invented Tiramisu. Treviso's got claims on it, Tolmezzo's got claims on it, unless this is the second leg when we visited Tolmezzo and the establishment, the hotel, which claims to have invented Tiramisu. Napalm, where are we now? 
Well, we're in Tormezzo, and I'm just wondering which of these cafes here is the home of the losing tiramisu makers. Well, tension's building, isn't it? We're about to... Well, the second half's about to kick off. We think that Treviso and Le Beccheria, Ale Beccheria, has got about a three-goal lead. However, we've been talking to some members of the the Tolmezzo team and they're talking a good game we've um, been speaking to the barman the hotel receptionist and they're pretty confident they can overturn this disadvantage so we better go and, we better go and taste it and also find out w- what these claims that they invented tiramisu and not Alebequeri and Treviso are based on uh, the thing is what's more prestigious the World Cup or the Cycling Podcast Award well, that was my first day on the, on yeah, the back you, on the Giro you were in a, you, It was the Giro that started in Israel, so I'd, I'd covered the Grande Partenza. You were in, in a great mood Israel. that day, I'd, weren't I'd you? Come, I'd flown back out for what was, you know, shaping up to be a cracking race. Simon Yates had been flying. Chris Froome was beginning to show signs of recovery. It was all, it was tantalising. It was mouth-watering. Um, unlike the tiramisu, which for, for you and Lionel seemed to replace lunch, which I couldn't really get my head well, around. Uh, well, yeah. But as, as the action was, uh, as they were, uh, the riders were reaching uh, the Zonkalan, we're tucking into tiramisu somewhere Yeah, nearby. which wasn't ideal because, I mean, even on this year, I'm suffering from my art because we have a, a series of, an ongoing series of Twitter posts that I'm not sure anyone is really paying attention to, whereby I post every morning we post a picture of where we're staying or from where we're staying or near where we're staying and a slice of crostata which is a staple of Italian breakfast I don't eat crostata I don't really eat sweet stuff in general but I'm having to order crostata every morning um, and I'm having to take a picture of it and then having to eat it because I don't like wasting food I think it's kind of immoral to I be mean, ra- wasting very, the crostata this is very needy stuff from Daniel here uh, and, a, and a plea really a cry for help um, please if you see this tweet maybe Patrick, the morning. please maybe give Patrick it a like will eat my crostata give it a like <laughs> give it a retweet respond to it in some way do think, please do you think Patrick might polish off my crostata when he joins us tomorrow <laughs> I think he might well do yeah definitely he's joining us tomorrow is he I, well, uh, you know, this space? it'd be a bit. I mean, a, a bit odd, wouldn't it, to have Lefebvre with us? We'd be a bit, <laughs> a know, bit compromising. Have a tremendous time. A little bit compromising. <laughs> anyway, should we wrap things up for tonight, Daniel? Any, any other business from today? Before no, let's. Um, I think we're we're about to head into stage. the head further into the bowels of Suave and um, maybe enjoy some more of the local produce. Well, listen. Another theme of this Giro has been our. Um, our incompetence when it comes to Flemish names and uh, we're delighted to play out tonight with uh, our good friend Charlotte Elton Um, uh, um, well Daniel you and I know Charlotte from London she now she's from Belgium originally she now lives in Brussels and she's been helping us out with our Flemish uh, pronunciation along with Hugo Kurovitz of course and she's sent us this this handy song uh, which really will prove uh, invaluable (laughs) <laughs> to us over the coming days. Thank you, Charlotte. Okay, here goes. Tom Bonner wrote van Nert, Kobe Hulsen's not that hard, Lawrence Nassen's even a pool, Flemish pronunciation fools, Tom Sales, Kampenert, Ilio Kese, come on lads, Dries de Bond, Keukelere, Roger de Vlaming, and Lefebvre, Vermeers and the Best, Seb van Marke and Museu, Steven and Van Avermaet, Kobe Hulsen's not so bad, Verwake Bakkelands, De Gent is an easy one, Axel Merckx, Eddie Merckx, trouble with the accents, you didn't say it right. That's what all the flambos say every single day. You didn't say it right. But you can keep on calling Hugo when you need some help. All right, good luck. Ciao. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.